Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show that tamed the wild, wild west. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Marty Schneider. We did what now? I'm Dan Ludwig. (laughs) That was, I think, the most out of left field. You had nothing for that, huh, bud? I really didn't, pal. That's right, we tamed the wild west, motherfuckers. (laughs) Check Uh, us. Watch out. (laughs) We are a show about... Baby Boomer Television, in particular, The Andy Griffith Show, and how old TV broke an entire generation's brains. Dan, part of the reason I'm stumbling right mm-hmm. now, right? Part of the reason why I think that I'm having trouble is we're opening up, up everything, baby. Yeah. Everything's coming back. And you and I both got that good, good Pfizer in our arms, right? So I've been thinking a lot, t- taking this time, mm-hmm. you know, because like, yeah, stuff is opening up, but I still don't do anything you know like i'm I'm really having trouble with the fact that like in a couple of weeks i'm not gonna have any excuse to not do stuff because i love not doing stuff i love it when we make plans and then don't do them like you said about 10 minutes ago you were like hey we don't have to record tonight if you don't want to and i got a chubby i was like (laughs) yeah yeah but plans are gonna get canceled but no what, what i thought about is like What's going to be our thing? Like, who are we going to be when we re-enter society? Like, what? Like, this is this is really a chance. It's like it's like moving to a new school, right? Like, you get a chance to reinvent yourself. So here's here's my thing. Here's mm-hmm. what I think is going to happen. Right? Imagine this. You know, we're out we're out at at the club dancing mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you and I typically do. Yeah, we like, we super do that. We 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 go to clubs all the time. We'll go to the Barbary. We'll say we're at the Barbary. Yeah. Right. And you go out. To smoke. Everybody's out to smoke. I don't smoke. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just hanging out there catching some air. And, you know, everyone's kind of wondering, like, what's this guy's deal? Like, over there in that cool red jacket that he's always wearing. Right, right. And and I'm just hanging out. And then I kind of reach into my pocket and I pull something out. And you're all wondering, like, well, what's, what's he going to pull out? And I reveal, you know, a handful of golden wrappers, delicious butterscotch toffees. Werther's Originals. Mm-hmm. I pop myself a Werther's. I offer you a Werther's. I offer the group Werther's. Like, hey, you want a Werther's? And at first people are like, who's this granddad? Yeah. Like, who's who's this old man? But then everyone's like, yeah, I want a fucking Werther's. Because Werther's are delicious. And I think I could pull off being, like, the Werther's guy. I think that could be my thing for re-entering society. Like, that's going to be just part of my brand now is i'm just gonna have you know delightful candy that everyone likes but nobody thinks to buy for themselves it's gonna be my icebreaker so, so i'm gonna get to know people so you've lost your entire goddamn mind through this entire thing huh bud i mean i think in addition to the coming out of stuff and it's like moving to a new school we also have a i'm gonna say six month grace period where you can do Whatever the fuck you want. For example, hand out butterscotch candy outside of a nightclub. And no one's really going to bat an eye because it'd be like, well, this person's still insane from the last year. So 
I, what are you gonna do, man? Yeah, how are you gonna pull this off? I think I think you should become a bowler hat guy. I was just gonna say I might try to become a hat guy, Marty. That was <laughs> in me. I was ready to say that maybe it's time to try hats out again. Previous attempts have been disastrous, but maybe it's time because no one's gonna say shit. Like I'll try to become a hat guy again, and people aren't gonna be like. Look at that fucking dipshit. At worst, they'll just be like, oh, man, that guy's still trying to remember what it's like to be on outside. Oh, let's all be super nice to him. Nicer than we normally would be because he's a super sad guy trying to pull off a top hat. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's where you got to go. I think you've got I, I, I suggested bowler hat or derby. I feel like that's a, that's a look for you. No, I'm gunning it, Marty. I'm doing a top hat. I'm doing a top hat with a fun checker pattern on it. Apparently our moves here are just to become 85 years old. Well, I'm going to judge you a little bit because, again, you have this vast horizon of crazy bullshit that you can do for the next six months to one year. And you're going to hand out butterscotch candy? Like, you can do do rainbow suspenders, Marty. Like, start throwing knives. I don't know. No one's – it's like the purge but for social awkwardness. What what if I did like an entire like persona around the candy though, right? Like what I do have a Willy Wonka costume. You do have I'm a stealing, Willy Wonka costume. But then I'm stealing the top hat from you. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll give up the top hat. I might actually I said rainbow suspenders and I'm kinda like, oh, that actually sounds pretty sick. That sounds pretty dope. Yeah. It sounds pretty dope. I think I think you've got a longer torso than I do, so I feel like suspenders are probably better. I don't think we've ever actually measured, but that sounds right. Yeah, no, just, I'll I'll become a suspenders guy. You do actually a Willy Wonka thing. Hand out candy in front of places while wearing a top hat. People will be like, what's your deal, man? And you'll be like, look at me. I'm Willy fucking Wonka. And then everyone will be like, all right, this seems about as normal as anything. Just do it. Just go nuts. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Listeners, whatever the... F- Society has no rules anymore. No. Whatever you want to try, do it. We're, it's the purge. Yeah. We're in the Mad Max wasteland of social of social understanding. Nobody remembers how to be normal anymore. The, people with, with social awkwardness and introversion, this is our time to just, like, explore the space. That's my plan, is to hand out butterscotch candies and ask people how they feel about the Andy Griffith Show. Why? That's where I am. Why is it exclusively butterscotch candies? Why I, is it? Honestly, honestly, because I bought a bag of Werther's Originals okay. this week. All right. That's what it comes down to. And you're just I was at to... Aldi. I saw I saw Werther's Originals. I was like, boom, I'm going to buy these. And I've just been just fucking mainlining these things. Okay. So you're, like, you're trying to justify this purpose. This, you're trying to justify this purchase to your account. Exactly, exactly. I I made one impulse buy, and now I'm defining my entire personality around it. If that's not the definition of being a 30-year-old man, I don't know what is. I bought this thing at a Target. It is me now. I saw this tennis racket, and it looks cool. So guess what, hun? We're into tennis now. Oh god. Maybe just like maybe just become a lumberjack for like 6 months. Just be like, what's your deal? Be like, I'm a lumberjack. I'm wearing red plaid. I have an actual literal axe. There's an entire fucking bespoke industry, you know, based around selling wood tools and axes and shit to like urban millennials who have no reason to own them. Yeah. <laughs> like 
there are $150 hatchets, $200 hatchets that you can order for what? To walk, because you live in South Philadelphia. If you, and you know what? They're fucking sweet hatchets. Because we all read the hatchet and we're all emotionally prepared to just get yeah, stranded sure. out in the middle of nowhere. For sure. This is good enough for an intro. Hello, folks. Yep. Alright, so this week, I think we're going to do a double header because we've got two episodes that are... One episode is nothing, and the other episode is fucking mean. It's mean shit. Horrible. It's absolutely, <laughs> like, nasty and hurtful. Let's let's go ahead and do that one first, I think. Let's get it the uh, fuck out of the way. I genuinely don't know how, the, how we're going to even talk about this. I, I mean, I think we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be fine. We'll be okay. We're we've done this. We can do this. Yeah, we we we're used to this by now. It's definitely um, not the most morally reprehensible thing we've discussed on this. It is just, the most depressing, I think. Yeah, it's it's it, that's the thing, right? This isn't one of those ones that's just like, oh, this really inspired a whole bunch of of terrible things. No, this is one that's just like everyone hears shit. So here's here's the episode. It is. Season 4, Episode 10, A Date for Gomer. It's originally, about as bad as the title would suggest. Originally airs December 9th, 1963. Written by Everett Greenbaum and Jim Fritzel. Directed by Dick Crenna. And here is the one-sentence summary from Wikipedia with a special note. Barney sets Gomer up with Thelma Lou's homely, shy cousin as a date for a dance. That's the episode summary. This episode, originally scheduled for November 25th, was preempted due to CBS News' extended coverage of President John F. Kennedy's assassination and funeral. Citation needed. <laughs> the, and so when when the nation was going through a period of crisis and tensions were high and we all just needed to be to be soothed, Andy Griffith was like, don't worry, who wants to see an ugly lady? <laughs> guys, guys, do not I know that I know that we're all a little scared and kind of at each other's throats, but we can all gather around the communal campfire of calling a woman an ugly bitch. I know we've all kind of lost lost the plot, lost our innocence as a nation. But, you know, let's 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 point at this lady and call her an uggo. Yeah. And that that'll make you feel better. Yeah. You know, so I guess technically we're going in the what would have been the original order. So this was supposed to be November November 25th. And just to start off here, right, like, this is the one episode, I'll, I'll say it here. This episode made me look at Gomer Pyle and go, okay, I get it. Yeah. I, I get why people like this character. It's taken a long time for them to get to it, but I now I understand. So, we're still in simple Jack territory, like, it is still, I think bad everything they're doing with gomer is still bad but it's heartwarmingly bad yeah but but gomer himself is enjoyable in this yeah everyone else is a massive piece of shit just a fucking sociopath it's just like a real monster's ball scenario happening with just this very <laughs> sweet scene at the center of it so okay so here here's the plot right the, there's a big dance that's coming up the big chamber of commerce dance and does it what what is where does this open? So this opens with Andy getting a haircut and explaining uh, from, how haircuts from, work to his son from fake Floyd. <laughs> yeah, from from off camera Floyd, just to establish that yes, he still does exist. So Andy, but o, Opie asks Andy like, 
Why did you ask Floyd to give you a haircut that doesn't look like a haircut? Which is like the second or third time they've used that phrase on the show. They really like the phrase, a haircut that doesn't look like a haircut. It delights them so much. What the fuck does that mean? And and I know what it means now because Andy explains it in painstaking detail. He says that he wants to get a haircut, but he doesn't want a haircut that looks like he just got a haircut because if Floyd cuts it too short, then you can see the white of his scalp because his scalp is a different color than the rest of his face because hair, you know, skin doesn't tan and skin do- uh, under under the hair. Yeah. And oh my god, I'm remembering this and just falling asleep. But yeah, there's, but it does there's... it does have a nice little kicker in which he like you're drifting off drifting off, and he's like, and people will think I'm wearing a wig, and I'm like, whoa, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but he, he he's explaining the concept of vanity to to his son Opie. He's explaining that sometimes people like to look nice. Yeah, uh, which I feel like Opie understood beforehand. Yeah. And it's kind of weird because he's like, here's the concept of vanity. It's fine. Like, he's not like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a personal failing that we all deal with. He's just like, I want to look nice and I want people to think I look nice. Fuck off. And, you know, I feel fine. Get it. Yeah. Get it, Andy. Really, I think feel like it should have ended with Opie going, no, I get all that. Why the fuck did you say I want a haircut that doesn't look like a haircut? That means that's Dumb garbage, Paul. <laughs> just give him. Just tell him you want a three on the sides and a five on top. For fuck's sake, don't give him You're, a fucking riddle. <laughs> when does a haircut <laughs> not look like a haircut? You're and, not the Sphinx, Pa. <laughs> answer my riddles three, and you can cut my fucking hair. God. Yeah. So they do that, and they. Have, like, is there any point to this scene? Does this scene tie into any? I, I it guess it tells us that a the thematic the, through the line. Dance is, the dance is coming up. Yeah, there's. It, like... t- it tells us the dance is coming up, and then we cut to Barney running an errand for his girlfriend, essentially, uh, which which Andy describes as being on a special mission. So he Thelma Lou sent him out to grab ice cream for her. Which he does to basically demanded praise. He's like, look how great of a guy I am. And she's like, I'm praising you. And he's like, praise me more. Anyway, also give me change. <laughs> I was like, anyway, that'll be 40 cents. Uh, <laughs> just so great. I don't know if they did that on purpose because there wasn't a fucking laugh track on it. But I was like, that's the funniest thing in the fucking episode. Yeah, he, he goes out. He goes out of his way to get to get ice cream for Thelma Lou. Hey. And Thelma Lou, Thelma Lou says, like, you didn't need to make a special trip. I just told you to get ice cream, you know, if you were going out. And he was like, nope, I got to, you know, someone asked for it. Uh, I got to get it, you know, because that's what I get. I got to get stuff for you. That'll be 40 cents, by the way. Yeah. Like, he asks her to pay. Can you Venmo me? <laughs> So, and and I I should also point out, it's a dog shit flavor. I don't remember the specific flavor, but it's like, it's, it's like Arabian nighttime mocha crunch or some bullshit. It's oh, like yeah, coffee flavored yeah. ice cream, basically. Yeah, but, and, and that gets a laugh. That gets a laugh track. The idea that there's a weird ice cream flavor. Yeah. That gets a gag. And we're being we're being like super shitty to Barney here, even though both of us have asked our girl had our girlfriend's Venmo us money back and forth or whatever for buying stuff. But fuck off, dude. You just went and got some ice cream. Shut up. And also he You're gonna eat that ice cream, aren't you? <laughs> also, he deserves 
more abuse than we can give him in an episode, so we need to squeeze every bit of criticism in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's fine, because he's going to do plenty of stuff that's worthy of, of criticism right now. So they start talking about the dance uh, and going to the dance together. And Thumalu says, well, I don't know if we'll go. That's the week that my cousin Mary Grace is in town. And Barney says, Mary Grace? Oh, she's a dog! Just He refers to her as a dog multiple times. Also, Dan, this is a good time for us to get on the record. Maybe we've said it before. I think we tweeted it. I don't know if we said it officially on the show. We apologize to the Baja men. Yes, yes, 100%. Please stop explaining it to us. If you don't understand what we're talking about, 10, 15 episodes or so ago, we talked about the song Who Let the Dogs Out, and we said that the Baja men were, like crazy sexist misogynist because the lyrics of that song are are full of misogyny we were wrong we were wrong that song is actually attacking and belittling the misogynists who are saying who let the dogs out like he's saying those people are pieces of shit yeah or or the dogs are like guys who are catcalling women i don't remember that's right it's something along those lines anyway the baja uh, men are allies and feminist heroes um, we would like to formally apologize for misrepresenting the Baja men. Uh, Venmo them $20 because I'm sure that they need it. Back to back to the episode. Yeah, Barney's just such a fucking dick about... He, re- he repeatedly talks about how ugly this woman is. Just like, unprompted. She's not... He's not like... She, Venmo isn't like, oh, Mary Beth, do you remember her? What do you think about her appearance? She's like, oh, Mary Beth. And Barney is just like, she's ugly as fucking sin! She looks like crap on a stick. I wouldn't fuck her with someone else's dick. I want to spit on the very idea of her existence. Pew! Piece of shit! Fuck her! <laughs> and listen, I know that we talk a lot about how Thelma Lou deserves better. Thelma Lou does not defend her cousin at all. No. Thelma, Thelma Lou makes zero attempt. Well, Thelma Lou establishes... Well, Thelma Lou does defend her. She doesn't say, no, she's actually good looking or no, she looks fine. She goes, how can you say that my ugly cousin is ugly? That's so cruel. Like, which not. Gr- that's not the same thing. Not good. Thelma it's Lou. not good. It's not a that's home. Not, that, that's not a equal. It's, it's definitely not a home run or not really even a base hit. It, but it's not absolutely eating shit. She does say, don't insult my cousin. Even though I agree with what yeah. you're saying. It's it's basically Marge Simpson. It's true, but you shouldn't say it. Yeah, when her, she's yeah. like, don't say things I believe out loud. Fucking, she, she does chide him. Uh, she does say, how can you be so cruel? And he says... Well, I'm just stating facts. There, There is a very funny cut in this, and it's at the end of the scene where Thelma Lou says, well, listen, I bet Andy will take her. And Barney goes, why? Why would you think Andy would even do that? And she says, because Andy's the kindest, sweetest man in town, and I'm sure there's no way he'd say no. Hard cut to Andy screaming, no! <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty great cut. <laughs> It was so fast. It, it got a surprised laugh out of me. Uh, um, yes. And and and, Bar- and Barney says like, oh, yeah, because you think she's a dog, too. And Andy doesn't refute this, but he does say like, 
I'm going with Miss Crump, who I guess is my girlfriend in this episode. Yeah. yeah. So we should we should just quickly rewind and just kind of run through the, the premise. Barney wants to go to this dance. It's like the big town dance. They've been looking forward to it all year. Thumbaloo's cousin is coming the weekend of the dance, and she won't leave her home alone. So Barney needs to get her a date if he wants to go to the dance with Thelma Lou. Yeah, they, they they do a ten things I hate about you taming of the shrew kind of thing. Like Basically. Yeah, you can't go to the dance you can't go to the dance unless she goes to the dance. Yeah. It is in Barney's best interest to get Mary Grace a date to the dance. Which he treats like a like fucking rocket science. Like Odysseus. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll just turn water into wine while I'm at it. When I get your piece of shit ugly cousin a date. Like, cannot emphasize enough that he, at every opportunity, is mean. And Andy is not much nicer. No. Right? Andy says, like, yeah, you're going to have a bit of a hard time getting her to to, come, to get a date. Enter Gomer. Yeah, so they, they first they run through potential suitors and they run through one guy and it's like no he knows better and there's another guy and barney says no he's always wasted and then they go what we need is a fucking dope just a real empty-headed guy who hasn't dated anybody and doesn't have any standards about how he should be treated by those around him or what he should expect out of life. Listen, I know that you're probably thinking Dan is exaggerating. He is not. No. Like, they they basically come close to saying, what we need is a lonely, horny idiot. Yeah. Not even horny. They're just like, what we just need is someone with no purpose in their life. <laughs> we just need an absolutely pointless human being. <laughs> what? We need someone who will just go where we tell them to go. Yeah. Like, we need someone with no autonomy, really, of their own. Yeah. Uh, Do we and... have any homunculi laying around? Do we have any sort of uh, any shuffling know... zombies? Does anyone know how to make a golem? <laughs> you, can you write in that there Hebrew? <laughs> so anyway, enter fucking Gomer Pyle. They go through, they're like, hey, Gomer, would you like to go on a date with Mary Beth? And Gomer asks, well, what's she like? And they go, oh, she's nice. She's nice. Is she pretty? She's nice. And you think that's a good joke? Do, do you think that's an okay joke? It's a fine joke. It's passable. They're going to repeat it five times in the next 45 seconds yeah just rapid fire is she pretty she's nice nice so nice is she pretty nicest girl pretty nice like just and gomer says all right fine i got i got nothing to do not nothing better to do all right i'll go cut back to thelma lou who's like gomer pile you set my homely cousin up with gomer fucking pile yeah and just comes in real hard on on Gomer now. Yeah, now she's... I, I guess it's Gomer's turn to be the pinata yeah. of the town. She says, I can't believe you think so little of my cousin. Which is brutally mean. Of, like, Gomer has an intellectual disability. You, okay, let's, let's... You and I know this. Yes. You and I know this. But for the purpose of the show, in the writer's eyes, he's just a dumb guy. Yes. And that's, that's it. He's just a dumb guy. No, because they are very clearly aware that, that he is beyond the category of 
dumb guy. Barney is a dumb guy. Floyd is a dumb guy. That's true. There are numerous dumb guys. They reference Gomer specifically like, and then there's Gomer, who they're like, who is simple. Or... Yeah, he's on his own. And, and they just spend this entire time being, being fucking assholes to them. Yeah. These people who are supposedly his friends. I think Gomer would say that they are his friends. They, like, so it basically turns into a whole thing of like, all right, people, what's worse, disabled or ugly? Ooh. But they also don't necessarily say that, that Gomer's at handsome either. Cause they do the whole bit again with Miss Crump. And Thelma Lou trying to convince the the homely cousin Mary Grace to go out with Gomer. So yeah, the, the next scene is we finally see Mary Grace, and she looks fine. Fine, she looks normal. She looks like a normal human woman. Yeah, <laughs> like I thought they were going to put her in like makeup. At least imagine being the woman who has to has to audition for this. How did she survive? How did she get? How much scotch was she drinking between takes? Was she just mainlining tequila to get through this? Because it was just like, all right, so I'm going to do a a guest spot on this show. Yeah. So the subject of the episode is you and your literal human face are bad. That is literally the point of the episode is everyone's going to call you ugly and we mean it. The show doesn't work unless America thinks you're ugly. So you're going to do this, and I guess you're going to live your life? She she went on to have, like, uh, a role. She went on to have several roles in in Bewitched and uh, Green Acres. And she was, like, a character actress throughout the 60s. I Um, hope she just didn't pop up when they were like, we need an ugly lady. I don't think so i mean she she had a common role like recurring recurring bits i don't know i hope that wasn't her thing i hope that wasn't her entire life but yeah so she's sitting there like first off she says that she doesn't even want to go to the fucking dance and no one's gonna allow you feels like this would be problem solved right she says i don't want to go to the dance okay we can move on no the next couple of minutes are helen crump and thelma lou doing the same shtick they're like well you can't wait till you meet gomer pile what's gomer pile like well he's tall is, is he handsome? He's tall. Say that he's quiet, which is categorically untrue. Yeah, basically right? goes have counter you, to his entire appeal as a person. Have, have you ever met this man? Yeah. Like, we, we, we just had an entire episode where he lost his job because he wouldn't shut the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, it is so painful. They Yeah, they literally, they twist her arm. They do, like, enhanced interrogation techniques to make her go to this fucking dance. And she's like... And describe a Gomer that doesn't exist. Yes! So they just lie to two people to make them go to a dance that neither of them planned on going to or particularly want to go to for vague, selfish reasons. Yeah, for what? So these people gather together... And they lie to two people that they all agree are piece are worthless pieces of shit. And they emotionally manipulate those people to do a thing they didn't want to do so that they could do a thing that they want to do. It's a panopticon of asshole. It goes everywhere. There's so many fucking, layers. It's a fucking twister game. It's a, it's a kaleidoscope it's, you, of prick. 
Like, just, spin, just spin the wheel and find out what flavor of fucking dick you are. Yeah. <laughs> in every given scene, people are being dicks in different unique ways that reflect off of each other into bright new colors. And I cannot stress this enough. This conflict didn't need to be. Yeah. They, they, I don't understand why they feel like forcing these forcing gomer and mary beth to go or mary grace to go to this thing because they'll feel like bad people if they don't so they're doing so many bad things yeah i i hate all of this and it kind of comes to a head in so the next scene we, we, we we get a scene of the boys getting ready right we get a scene of barney gomer and andy getting ready for the dance andy comes down without pants which i'm sure was very risque yeah like, he's standing there in his shirt and his boxer shorts while uh, Aunt B, like, presses his knees, like, irons irons his pants, basically. There is one scene, before I talk about how uncomfortable and unpleasant this scene is, somewhere in the middle of it, there's a scene where Gomer comes into the jail, and he shows Andy and Barney the various suit components that he bought he bought a nice belt and he bought a nice he bought nice shoes and he bought a nice tie and they basically tell like gently try to tell him that he shouldn't become emotionally invested in this night because it's gonna suck because he basically they're like all right so you're excited about tonight and we need to temper those expectations without telling you that your date is ugly barney does this whole thing of like a man walks down many roads in his life. Some are big roads and some are little roads. And basically this is a piece of shit road that you're going to wish you hadn't walked over. So don't spend a lot of money. You know, it feels like there should be a line in there like Gomer just being like, don't worry. You guys are my friends and I'm sure my friends would never, ever do anything to hurt me yeah. or lead me astray. Instead, Gomer's just like, what are you talking about? And yeah, Gomer does get excited. He spends money. He buys new shoes. He gets like he didn't care about it before, but now he's like, "All right, I'm gonna get to go to a dance." And he starts to get nervous and excited. And like, this is his first date. It's it's cute. Like, like yeah. And it also has the explicit thing of like, all right, Gomer bought a nice suit, which they are for a date, which they are then asserting he will never ever need ever again, which is. Also, another layer of shitty of them just being like, well, you're never going to have another nice moment in your life. So I did notice that Barney's wearing the same suit that they always put him in <laughs> as well. Such a fucking it's ugly such a ass stupid suit. suit. It looks like a fucking it looks like a floor mat in a 1986 Plymouth minivan. His like, his hat is so stupid looking. I don't know if that was actually supposed to be taken seriously as a head garment, but it looks like it looks like a toy boat that a kid folded up. Like it looks like it's designed to catch rainwater and nothing else. Fucking bought that suit at a truck stop. Jesus. God. Any anyway, so yes, yeah, so that has happened. Then we get to a scene where they go to Thelma Luz and there's the six of them together. So there's six people here. Four of them are supposedly friends, right? The theme of this is that it's awkward and confusing and no one knows what to say. And everyone's yeah. kind of uncomfortable around each other. Which makes no 
fucking sense. Yeah. Because two-thirds of the room are already acquainted with each other. Two-thirds of the room are already friends and do stuff together all the time. So the only people who should be uncomfortable are Gomer and Mary Grace. They don't say anything throughout the entire shtick. So it's just like six people sitting there and the four people who should be hosting are just like, well, let's talk about the weather. And Andy, like, tries to tell a story, but, like, nobody knows the guy that the story is about, so it doesn't make any sense. And I don't fucking get it. What What do you four do when you're hanging out without Gomer? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, I think. It's such bad writing. It's, I don't understand why on top of an episode of uh, characters making questionable moral decisions, they also decided to make it uncomfortable as fuck. Where all of these people are just unhappy and uncharismatic. It's a bad... It's just a bad decision to put a bad thing inside of a bad thing. For about five minutes of television of that was... screen time. I, yes. I could not watch a second time. I had to fast forward through. I had to stare at my phone to get through it the first time. Just ridiculously painful. Until finally Gomer stands up and just announces... Excuse me, I've got something I gotta do. And he just runs out the door. At which point I'm like, I'm with you, bud. Yeah, which could be, like, they, Zero blame here. They attribute it to be like, well, he left because Mary Beth is so fucking ugly. Which also could be like, maybe he left because this is the most uncomfortable situation <laughs> anyone has ever been in. Yeah, is it possible he left because you all fucking suck <laughs> and he realized that? Maybe like, maybe he didn't want to sit you around. You ever and... be in a room? You ever be in a room with people that you think are your friends and you just kind of look around and go, oh, I hate all of you. Yeah. Maybe he like, didn't want to sit. It happens to everyone. <laughs> maybe he didn't want to sit. part of growing up, pal. Maybe he didn't want to sit around in a room full of people who have about as much chemistry as, like, mannequins. Like, it is, like... Yeah, he's like, this is a horrible situation full of horrible people. I'm going to go do literally anything else. Listen, I live my life by the share zone rule. If it sucks, you can leave. Yeah. God. <laughs> Fucking A. So, so he just gets up and boots and, and everyone's just like, how rude. What a massive piece of shit Gomer is. Like, nobody thinks about introspectively. No one starts to think, like, why would Gomer leave? They just automatically, like, blame it on this woman's ugly face. Yeah, which... Your face is so hideous that he couldn't stand to be in, in here. Which, you know what would be a good thing to do in that moment is to, like, say, like, I'm sure your date ran out for totally good reasons that didn't involve you. Maybe you had to go take a massive shit. I'm just spitballing here. But the thing that I'm coming up with is better than what they do, which is just to be like, Mary Beth, I'm sorry that your that your boyfriend left because you're so goddamn ugly. Uh, <laughs> but we'll have a good night anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. Eventually, like, rather than stay in with her, they all decide. Well, I guess I guess Barney and Andy decide. Well. <laughs> I guess we can go anyway. Yeah, like, don't believe... Rendering the the past 15 minutes entirely null and void. Which, uh, they drag Thelma Lube, like, basically at gunpoint, where, like, Thelma Lube was like, I don't want to fucking go, my cousin is really upset, I'm fucking livid and miserable, and they're like, come on! Which, 
the under the fucking delusion that making a person who is miserable and pissed off going to a social function will work out good at all. Barney does, I think, one of the most disgusting things we've seen Barney Fife do. Yeah. They finally get the women to go and get in the car so they can go. Andy's driving. Barney tells Helen, like, oh, no, Helen, you sit up front with Andy. No, we're not doing any of that. I'm going to sit in the back with with, uh, Thelma Lou. To Thelma Lou's protests. She's like, no, Helen, I really want you in the back with me. And Barney says, no, no, you get in the front. He comes and sits in the back with her. And he says, and I quote, putting his arm around Thelma Lou. Hey, Thelma Lou, let's you and I have a little fun. A quote. (laughs) Just absolutely sociopath shit, which is then punished by the show. But I would argue not anywhere close to hard enough. Because not enough. If the camera pans away and you hear the sound of someone being punched and it pans back and Barney is tilting his nose back and putting a, a rag in it because Thelma Lou punched him in the face, which is supposed to be like, a, ha, he got his comeuppance and he should have been drafted to go to Vietnam. Like <laughs> that is the moral like equivalence is someone should have just popped up and be like, Oh, I just need one skinny emaciated piece of shit to go to the killing fields. You. And then just drag him off. And, you know why? You know why it doesn't feel like a fair punishment? Is because she's still stuck back there with the guy. Yeah, she like, still has still, to she's go. Still in the car. Like no one says, "All right, I guess this is. I guess we'll cut it off here and lets her out of the fucking car." No. Yeah. Like oh, the Nate, the knight has uh, has resorted to physical violence. Let's keep going. I don't know about you, man, but when, when, on nights when I go out, as soon as someone starts hitting the other person, I caught whatever time it is. I'm like, that's good. It's 7.15. I can still catch Final Jeopardy. Like, I'm I'm out. They get to the door. They get to the door of the dance before just degrading it into just like, this is not happening. Yeah. Before they just kind of accept that everyone's angry and unhappy and also maybe shouldn't fucking be together. Like, I don't understand how this episode doesn't end in two breakups. Yeah. They're doing fucking Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf they, on this. They are going to, like, they're doing, like, an emotional Hearts of Darkness. Like, they are going deep into the jungles of, of unhappiness. Meanwhile, cut back to Thelma Lou's house. Where Mary Grace is hanging out by herself. She hasn't gotten undressed or anything yet. So she's like, creep. and there's a knock at the door. There's Gomer. Gomer says, hey, I had to run out. Sorry, it took me so long. But I had to go and get you a flower, a boutonniere. And she goes, what? Well, the other two ladies was wearing boutonnieres. And I figured it wasn't right for you to not have one. So I had to go and get you one. And it's a sweet moment. And I look at that and I go, I get it. I understand yeah. the Gomer Pyle appeal. Like, And Jim Neighbors plays it So perfectly. well. It is, it, it's an absolutely beautiful moment within a dog shit episode. It is a like Tootsie Pop that is surrounded with like cyanide. It's such a charming moment and like absolute props to gym neighbors and then that's when the two of them kind of decide like listen do you want to go to the dance and and gomer's like i don't care i would be just fine staying here 
And then they're just like, cool. And like I said at the beginning, canceling plans and deciding not to go places, orgasmic. Yeah. Like, so good. Just absolute, like, pinnacle of feelings. It definitely, it mixes that just, like absolute euphoria of deciding to not go to a thing and hang out instead it's such a good moment i had one of those moments very early in sarah and i's relationship we were in we were like downtown in center city trying to get at that piano bar how at the moon fuck that place uh, it's a terrible place right we were we we're in line i think it was a friday night and there were all the fucking jersey bros and the wharton grads and they were all there and i don't remember we had tried to go to like another club or something before that and while we're in line for this place and looking at the cover charge i don't remember how it came up but i think one of us kind of turned to the other like are you sure you wanted to do this and she said i i just want i thought you wanted to do this i thought you said you like to go out dancing and i said no i like to go to one specific place on like a couple of specific nights and sometimes go to dance and this is not that place and this is not that night and she, then, then we just have that moment where she's like, do you want to just go go back to my place? Do you want to just hang out at a house? <laughs> and we we're both like, yes, thank God. And this is like, we'd been together for like a month at that point. Like, this was in that point where you're just kind of like feeling each other out. For for some added context for the unfamiliar, How at the Moon is where they invented loud white people. It's it's like the spawning ground. Like at the It's one of, one of the many many firsts that you can find in Philadelphia. We're full of history. It is uh like at the dawn of of evolution there was like the primordial pool that fish started coming out and then there was a howl at the moon where someone was just like, "I want to get an Uber." Uh, oh god, did you hear how loud I sang Journey in there? It fucking ruled, man. Like those two things happened concurrently. The the idea of like a, a bar or a club with like a live piano is always a good idea, but it's just location and clientele suck ass at that place. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are other better piano bars in the city. Anyway, this has been, once again, <laughs> Philadelphia Tourism Recommendations of Marty and Dan. <laughs> Which is basically comes down to places to not go. At some point, like, we should just do, like, a map of just not places to check out or cool shit, places to stay the fuck away from. Like, if your tour guide tells you to go to them, cut them out of your life forever. <laughs> the official Marty and Dan burn list. Yeah. The Breaking Mayberry Philadelphia burn book. So, anyway, the 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 foursome, the worst foursome, the the movie The Overnight. They are there. They show back up at Thumbelou's place. They're fighting. Barney still got the t- the like Kleenex over his nose, and they hear music coming in, and then they open the door, and there is uh, Gomer. And Mary Grace, they're dancing, they're having a great time, they're listening to records, they're having a fun time having a dance with themselves. Gomer goes, hang on a second, he he dances over to Andy, he's like, boy, you were right, she is so great, she's the nicest, and I think he says that she's pretty. Yeah. He's so pretty, yeah, he's, he's so pretty too. And then they dance, over, dance away from each other. And then the four people who were fighting until several seconds ago... Where they're like, aw, I guess this is okay. And Andy puts his arm around Helen, whatever. And they're all like, 
No. Wait, yeah. fuck that. No. Like, that doesn't excuse literally anything. Good for them, but that excuses nothing from of the behavior from any of the four of you. Fuck. All's well that ends well does not apply here. Like, does not work. You do not t- get to do no harm, no foul. I don't... How do, how do the writers of this fucking show think humans behave with one another like i feel like they've never had any human interaction they were fucking grown in labs and observed human behavior through like nursery rhymes and like closed circuit television like television shows especially this kind of television show operates within a pretty fucking easy to do moral framework which is a character does something bad and then an equally bad thing happens back to them. If a character does something immoral, then they are punished proportionally. It's like the comfort food aspect of TV where you know, like, like someone's going to get a pretty rational comeuppance. And this show always fucks it up, where it's like, Oh, someone someone did something absolutely repulsive, but don't worry, they stubbed their toe. So, we're cool, right? Everybody's happy? We're all having a great time? Great. Like, how the fuck do you even fuck up the basically, like, coloring book level morality? I think you do that by not giving a fuck. Like, that's what it comes down to. It's like, some some television shows care so much about their characters that they will plot out an arc and they will give them challenges and they will, like, reward them for doing well and punish them. The Andy Griffith show does not give a fuck about any of these people. Like Mayberry for, for its really, its reputation of being like a warm and, and welcoming town. The show doesn't care about any of these people beyond this frame of these 22 minutes. Yeah. And, and, and even within those 22 minutes, every person is just kind of a, a means to an end to get to the next scene for being like like somewhat experimental and there's no rules to mm. television it's such bad bad fucking story writing and all right i'll say it, like that does inform the opinions of a generation of people who aren't very good at giving a fuck about others yeah like again we're talking about like sitcoms inform more of like the american like worldview than they have any right to in a lot of ways it's like how you get programmed for like basic understanding of like cause and effect especially especially in the 1960s when this shit was brand new and we hadn't done any writing and there wasn't any think pieces and no one had really analyzed any of this yeah like so like you can see like all this shit adding up to a fucking deranged sense of what you should and should not do like it's a whole fucking fucking generation raised on andy griffith and lead paint like it's yeah it basically like eventually this piles up and it's like well if i do a bad thing and no one dies did i technically do a bad thing like so uh, i mean (sighs) I feel like we're stretching to make this episode part of our bigger point, but not a whole lot. No. This not was, a lot. This like, was pretty easy. 
Like this is this is a dog shit episode. Everyone is so mean. It is meaner than most episodes of like Always Sunny. Yeah, it is one of the meanest episodes of TV I've ever seen. Both Gomer and Mary Beth get happy endings, but they should like steal their identities and sell them to a Chinese scam company. Like <laughs> they should have been like, oh, by the way, we burned all your social security cards. I think that's kind of the worst part about this is that Gomer and Mary Beth end the episode completely oblivious to how shitty their friends have been. Yeah. They end the episode like the episode doesn't ever mention how bad these people are. It doesn't even like register that this is on the bad scale. And like these two end the episode thinking, oh boy, they really did us a favor. We we weren't set up at all. They, they these people think highly of us. Yeah. I'm so glad that these people are are my friends. God damn it. Oh, Jesus uh, fucking ratings. Uh ratings this episode as much how, what did I enjoy? This episode is going to get a 3. <laughs> and that 3 is on Jim Neighbors alone. Yeah. That is on Jim Neighbors and uh, the woman who played Mary Grace. Uh, she... Her name is also Mary Grace. Mary, the, she is Mary Grace Canfield. Oh Jesus, that makes it more horrible. That yeah, they, made they gave it was... her her own name. God. You're playing yourself. Jesus <laughs> Christ! No, yeah, an, an added dimension of horror is Mary Grace's actress, fucking fantastic. She's great. She she really makes you feel the deep hurt and loneliness of this woman. Yeah, I should say that. Yeah, turn her into a fucking cartoon. You do that with every other character. Like, at least don't make me feel her pain. And she looks so happy when Gomer comes back. Yeah, like, she, it's a beautiful it's, moment. So, honestly, like, on the strength of those two alone, this gets a three. Yeah, I'm uh, in agreement. Um, Which, other than, it would be in the fucking negatives if it wasn't for the two of them. Yeah, no. So, they, so they're, they're, they're really doing, like, five or six worth of work. But, you know, the law of numbers says we gotta put it at a three. Yeah. Uh, and Barney Meter, really? I mean, I'm gonna say like, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with I, my gut and give it a ten. I, all right, I'm gonna say a six or a seven, just because like their behavior is bad. But we have, in order for us to connect it to a, a, a greater evil, you and I had to extrapolate a little, not much. But we had to extrapolate. Yeah. I, so I'm gonna put it at a six or a seven. Yeah. But you can keep that ten. I'm not gonna take that ten. For I'm you. gonna go with my feelings and just say like the sheer amount of nastiness in this was ten provoking. And just, and you know what, man? Do it. Yeah. Go with what's in your heart. Someone, someone. I support you. Someone put this moral reprehensibility you can go your on own the screen way. and was like, good, fine. <laughs> and for the person, existence of that person, it's a 10. Not because, like, the amount of damage I think this did, but a person made that decision and then walked out into the world and had a life, and I'm presuming, like, influenced others and was a productive member of society. And for that <laughs> fact alone, 10. <laughs> That's that dead-eyed sociopath walked among us. All right, so on to the good one. It, it's a less entertaining episode. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's. I think it's a good episode. We'll figure it out as we go. I think I liked it, but also I don't know. I'm dead inside. This is season four, episode nine. Up in Barney's room. What a terrible episode name. <laughs> Up in Barney's room. Uh, originally airs December 2nd, 1963, written by Fritzel and Greenbaum and directed by Jeffrey Hayden. And here's your one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. 
Despite a long-standing friendship with his sweet elderly landlady, Mrs. Mendelbright, Barney is evicted for cooking in his room. He soon finds Mrs. Mendelbright is under the influence of a con man. Okay, so right off the bat here, I want to get something out of the way. Fuck all landlords. Yeah. Like, let, let's just, I mean, it feels like we should just put that out there. You're a parasite on society. Get a real fucking job. Okay, back to, I, now that that's out of the way, yeah. uh, I, I think we can get to get to the rest of the episode. It is definitely like landlord-tenant, a love story. Yeah, I, it's, it's and some weird Benny and June kind of thing going on here. Yeah. Uh, uh, so... First off, this made me raise a lot of episodes or a lot of questions about how much being a sheriff's deputy in Mayberry pays. Yeah, like because Barney's apparently living in a halfway house. Yeah, like fucking everybody and their mother has. This was the '60s. Everybody had a house. You could like, you could just get a house they were tossing them out like candy like marty tossing out uh butterscotches outside of a club and he's the originals yeah and he is living in like a closet <laughs> like a ymca basically i think this is the first time we've ever seen where barney lives we saw a garage one time because he said his landlord asked him to to pay it or to clean out a garage but yeah he's living in a sad hotel room thelma lou has a whole ass house what the fuck does she do for a living in relation to him yeah good question but barney is living a life like he just got out of doing a nickel at san quentin (laughs) like Barney's home makes it look like he has to go to meetings every week or else his parole officer calls and he's trying his best to make it work it is the most divorced living situation I've ever seen (laughs) like it is very like the wife just kicked me out but I'm doing great well I sleep in a race car bed Andy (laughs) it really is that you sleep in a race car bed no, I didn't think so. <laughs> it it has that energy so bad. It is depressing. Like, like this is not knocking people that live in apartments. Fucking, I live in an apartment. Like, it is... T- but, okay, you, your apartment has a stove. Yes. Yeah. It, this makes a New York apartment look like a fucking, like, row home out in the that's, suburbs. That's the other thing, is that, like, this is North Carolina. They have land. So Barney Barney is basically in a studio apartment. It doesn't have a kitchen. It doesn't have a kitchenette. And this is why I relate it to more like a hotel room or like a college dorm. Because this is the big conflict. He's not allowed to cook. Yeah. He's not allowed to cook in his room. And he doesn't even have the fixtures to cook in his room. He has a hot plate. He has a 1960s hot plate, which is the most dangerous thing. <laughs> it's, it's basically a steel step stool. Hooked up to a car battery (laughs) that you put pots and pans on. Like, yeah, that's the big thing. He's not allowed to cook in his room by by the terms of his lease, I guess. And Barney starts off the episode like shoving like a can of beans and some bread into his shirt in one of the most in one of the saddest fucking sequences (laughs) I've ever seen. Deeply pathetic. And. He comes in, and then there's this old, sweet-talking man, played by a guy named J. Pat O'Malley. Yeah. Mr. Fields, who is trying to basically talk his way into a room. 
Okay, so I gotta talk about this fucking apartment again. This is we're not <laughs> gonna get to the fucking episode because you compared it to a dorm room, which is driving me insane. Because I I didn't have like at my like freshman dorm, I didn't have a fucking like a kitchenette in there. I was allowed to cook in there. I was allowed to have a microwave. Like I mean, they didn't they didn't have microwaves yet. It was, it was the sixties. I remember. I feel like some dorms don't let you do that. Some dorms can't don't let you have a hot plate. For fire reasons, basically. For fire insurance reasons. But does he have access to, like, a communal kitchen downstairs? I, good question. Like... No, real ass question. Did he have access to a kitchen? I don't understand the rules of this, right? Yeah, because if you're you're in a college dorm, there are places on campus that you can eat. Yes. So, we're, we're below college dorm. We're below, like... Best I Western. Don't understand, I don't understand the terms. Yeah, you can fucking have food in your in your in your hotel room. I've like, never stayed in a youth hostel, but it, 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 most most youth hostels have like a communal kitchen downstairs. Yeah, like he he specifically says that the alternative that his options were to cook in his bedroom or to get takeout. So yeah, so so has Barney been? existing on restaurant meals yes and and aunt b when he's not with aunt b or thelma lou is barney just always oh that's why he's always fucking the weight it's a survival thing yeah okay yeah (laughs) he's not actually into juanita he's just doing it so that he can eat it's it's fuck or die we've all been there (laughs) yeah yeah no yeah you're, oh, all right, I got you, I got you. Have sex or starve. We've all been there at some point in our lives. <laughs> it's I can't think of a comparable living situation in modern life. I can't believe this was a thing in the 60s. All right, back to the plot of the episode. So Mr. Fields, this like charming British guy, is trying to talk his way into letting Barney's landlord lease him a room. And she's like, I don't have any rooms. Barney, like walks in with like an entire thing of groceries down the back of his shirt there's some antics where he talks about like having a hurt back and needing to get up to his room and he slips upstairs and takes out a hot plate and starts making chili which looks disgusting (laughs) it's so bad because he's just dumping like warm milk and a can of beans into a pot on a hot plate it really looks like the Peeps chili that Cheaty makes in The Good Place. Yeah! It is, like, definitely, like, sub-canned chili quality. Like, the diarrhea is almost assured by what he is cooking. And so Andy comes in, uh, Andy comes by, and he drops off the paycheck, Barney's paycheck. And I guess that that's the impetus for this, is that Barney didn't get paid on time this week. And therefore he couldn't get food out. So he, you know, whatever. Horrifying. So, well, yeah, terrifying. What? Does Barney have zero savings? What <laughs> What are you paying this man? <laughs> I realize he's not very good at his job, but like, what pittance wages are you giving him? I think we've like gotten another piece of the puzzle of like, why does Andy keep this short-tempered lunatic employed when he's a danger of society? It's like, because you don't have to pay him shit. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that might be it. Like, if he hired someone remotely competent at their job, they might insist payment. Yeah. <laughs> they might want to get paid. He's so, basically and- got an intern. 
they talk about the decorations in or Barney's apartment. And the joke is that he's like very proud of his decor, even though there isn't much of it. Do you like this joke? Because you're going to get it again. <laughs> Ten minutes of this episode is just the saddest house tours on, on Earth. Which is absolute momentum killer. There wasn't a lot of momentum going on so far, but basically the episode just kind of pulls off to the shoulder and parks for a little bit. And just is like, oh, you know, we're, we're pretty tired. We need a little break. I mean, look, I can't fault them for this one, right? Because, like, I just watched Pride and Prejudice for the first time. And that movie slash book, that classic that's been adapted a million times, that is two and a half hours of people visiting other people's houses. Yeah. And talking about the house. <laughs> like. It is kind of amazing. We've marveled at it a lot in, like, both good and bad ways. Like, how Columbo can just have him, like trying to flag down a car because he has car troubles for like 12 minutes but also back then you could just write like 24 pages that were just like some people they sit around they look at a couch they comment on the couch they move to a different couch they comment on that couch did you fucking see that thing it was amazon's guidelines for uh movies and tv shows what no oh god yeah jeff bezos like dictated like the elements that every single story that they pick up must have and it must have like world changing stakes humor a romance emotional connection people must grow and it's just like it's absolute bullshit because it's like the most putting people in a box creatively thing but you just counter that with like like basically it was just like every single moment of your tv show must be exhilarating me in some way and meanwhile like 60 years ago they were just like hey what kind of wallpaper is that <laughs> is that is that mauve no that's crimson no it's mauve oh yeah, okay how yeah. do you think we named it mauve huh. <laughs> that's you know, a weird we, we... name for a color right Honestly, when you put it that way, I kind of like it. <laughs> like when you, when you put it that way, I'm a big fan. It used to be so awesome to be a writer because you would just like you would do like 10% things happening and 90% whatever. Just words. Like, just words in an order of just people hanging out. It feels like they went through like the Jack Kirby Stanley Marvel method. Like they just showed up on set, looked around at who was there, had a brief outline, and were just like, "Yeah, we can make twenty-two minutes out of this." Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sure. Whatever. Fucking. Hey. I just I just went to the car mechanic. I'm going to write that entire interaction down verbatim with no punch up, and that's in it. That's in the episode, movie, or book. We did it. It's in there. God, being a writer, like, pre-70s was just, I, I've said it over and over again, but it's the pinnacle of human existence. You just typed some word down, threw a coffee mug at an assistant's head, went home. So, let's move on to the into the episode. The chili burns, Mrs. Mendelbright smells it, and she bursts in. And, like, despite them trying to hide the chili or whatever, uh, she bursts in, she kicks Barney out, basically. She also says uh, that he's committed other offenses, including having a, like, too bright of a bulb, mm -hmm. a light bulb. 
He got a 70 watt bulb and he's not allowed to have anything higher than a 50 watt bulb and he leaves it on at night. He calls her a snoop, which I guess the explanation is she pays for electricity. But yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm just like, fuck off, lady. Yeah. Like, yeah, that fucking is one woman homeowners association. Just make him pay for his own fucking electricity then or whatever. Yeah, but fuck her. Like, genuinely, I I got like lured into being like, yeah, shut up, Barney. But like, fuck her. Like, you're making him live in this like nightmare situation. Apparently, she definitely has a, a kitchen in the house that he's not allowed to use or some shit. Yeah, because it's clearly like her house and he lives upstairs, right? Or something. Yeah. Let like, him I don't use understand her fucking the kitchen here. She's watching him sleep. That was established. He calls her a snoop, which is actually letting her off pretty light other than like, what the fuck? Why are you watching me sleep? So she kicks him out and he says like, fuck you. I want to leave. I'm glad you're kicking me out. I don't want to live in this shitty house anymore. And she runs out. The apartment is full of smoke now from the extremely dangerous hot plate. I do agree with that. But just let me use the fucking stove. And then Miss Mendelbright goes downstairs, tells Mr. Fields that there is now a room open up, and he says, cool, I want to fuck you. Um, right. More, barely exaggerating. He's like, oh, yeah? Well, now we can get a lot closer. So Barney does what everyone does when they lose a home, which is go to the jail, but he doesn't live in the cell. Instead, he sets up his cot and everything in the like back room the back office and i thought we were going to get another like episode like the gomer one but now it's just barney living in the office i guess whatever i mean i'm kind of i kind of want to go yada 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 over all this right there is there is a thing that bears discussing which is there so he moves into the jail and he's like cool i live here now this is awesome and then later thelma lou is coming to visit barney's new abode and he tries to fuck her he tries to make her home-cooked chili and then fuck her because you know honestly if there if there is a dish that puts me in the mood (laughs) it's fucking chili man i get a aphrodisiac chili i I get a big ass bowl of grease and beans in me and i'm i'm ready to fuck You know, that was actually invented by the French in their in their famous seduction techniques is they would just like ladle some four bean chili into your mouth seductively. And as the bean grease dipped down your chin. Oh God. Um, we're probably, probably going to get something from someone, some dickhead in Texas is going to be like, well, chili isn't supposed to have beans. Hey, shut up. Wait, what the fuck are you talking about? Chili always has beans. Oh no, there's there's a debate of this in southern states. Tex like Texans argue about whether chili should have beans or not. Oh, I I have made Texas chili. I actually have like a family Texas chili. It is just four types of meat in a pot with no nothing other than that except the grease from the meat. It's essentially a meat delivery vehicle. It's delicious, but also it makes moving so hard it is the worst thing i've ever i feel like it probably makes moving externally hard but i feel like internally things get moving pretty fast oh yeah it is a punishing food it is like you could use it as an endurance challenge of like 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 you could have an olympic event which is eat dan's texas chili and then go to the bank (laughs) and 
And like people could train their entire <laughs> lives for it. Yeah, so but there's the other problem here is that somehow this works, right? Andy and Opie are walking home from the movie theater. They talk about Gregory Peck mm-hmm. for a long time. Great. Gregory Peck's a great actor. Great, great they Peck walk was. they walk past the they walk past the station and they see that the lights are going on and off. And that is because Barney and Thumbaloo are basically dry humping on the fucking light switch. The most I <sighs> I guess this was a standard, like, what it looked like to be romanced back then, which is the woman said no repeatedly, while the man ignored her like a cartoon wolf. But she's like, no, Barney, no, we shouldn't, we can't, no, we shouldn't, we can't, I don't want to, no, no, but, like, playfully. And he's like, yeah, 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 like, just like slobbering all over just tex avery wolfing over her yeah yeah they're not making out like they're not actually kissing like even as like if you give it the benefit of the doubt and it's like well this was just like part of the dance or whatever like still a gross mating ritual (laughs) just a gross way to go about doing anything just show two people making out you weirdos yeah just just have her just be like yes enthusiastic yes into this Thelma Lou is having a just, great time and honestly like there's not a whole lot of motion involved in making it maybe I've been doing it wrong but you don't tend to move about the cockpit <laughs> well that's see that's for us but Again, 1960s courtship rituals also involve an element of, like, martial arts, where <laughs> where one person has to be constantly doing palm strikes and sweeping maneuvers to keep you away from them. And you have to be countering that while pushing your face towards theirs. So that causes definitely a lot of jostling. A lot, lot of movement. I understand. Opie and Andy catch... Barney and Thumbaloo in flagrante delicto. Do we want to talk about this or whatever? Oh, like... the whole thing. They walk in on them and Opie, Barney is like facing into the corner to cover all of the lipstick all over his face. Which again, how's, how's how? your making Literally out technique? How? Seems pretty horrible. I don't usually, I mean, I, I don't know if I would call myself an expert, but I don't really have a lot of splash damage. Was she was she putting new coats on in between <laughs> each, like, tongue insertion? Yeah. Was, like, she, was it just, like, moved around a little bit? Okay, hang on, let me freshen up. Okay, and go. Like, yeah. I Yeah, no, I don't think making out is supposed to have collateral damage. Uh, <laughs> like, so his face is, like, covered with with lipstick so he's hiding in the corner and opie just antagonizes him with asking stupid little kid dipshit questions generally has the energy if he's trying to hide a hard on barney reveals his uh face opie thinks that he's bleeding severely which is actually pretty funny and then andy just goes like you need to move the fuck out you can't be here yeah no this sucks and i hate it and i don't want you fucking in my place of work at least with Otis, I never have to worry about that, presumably. <laughs> they cut back to the jail, like, the following morning. I think it's, like, actually, I think it's, like, five days later. And uh, Barney's like, I have been looking for a room for days now. There is nothing available. 
And Andy suggests apologizing to Miss Mendelbright and trying to get his room back. Now, the whole thing kind of, the trajectory of Barney's character goes from being like, man, fuck Mrs. Mendelbright, my room sucked, to being like, you know, I miss my landlady and I miss my tiny, tiny room. Which I think is supposed to be like a, well, you don't realize how good you have it, but it's also like, I'm desperate. And now my my standard for how I should be treated by my landlord has dropped significantly. So they do a whole thing where he says, like, he won't grovel. They pull up Barney Grovels. Right. But, um, shh. We've seen before, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, we find out that she's selling her house and marrying that dude, Mr. Fields. He is furious about this and it's kind of hard to mix in like how much of that is the fact that he's homeless and how much of that is like actual genuine protectiveness of uh, miss mandelbright it's it's so weird this is another example we have of the show taking barney's worst instincts and rewarding them yeah because barney decides based on fuck all essentially that this guy has to be a con artist. He has to be a scam artist. Why else would he be marrying this old lady? Yeah. Um, so basically, he lays out his his case for why this guy's a con artist, which is A, he moves into town. B, he has no job. And C, he wants to marry Mrs. Mendelbright, which is insulting as fuck. Because right. his, his thing is just like, well, he wants to marry Mrs. Mendelbright. He needs ulterior motives. Of course, he can't just want to do that. He also says that he hopes that their marriage ends in a quickie Mexican divorce. I had to look this up. And yeah, apparently it was fairly common for uh, especially rich people, wealthy people, movie stars, people. This joke would have played. This is one of those times when you see Los Angeles culture sneak into the Andy Griffith show because that's where all these people fucking lived. And it was very common for rich people to sneak down to mexico in order to get divorced because no fault divorces weren't commonplace in the united states yet it's going to be like a decade before california starts allowing no fault divorces if you wanted to get a divorce in america at that time it was a long process and there had to be a lot of stuff involved so it was pretty common for los angeles's wealthy to sneak down to mexico if they wanted to get a divorce and get it done there our country is Uh, a nightmare I don't understand how that's legal or how that plays, but whatever. So, so that's that was a, an interesting relic of its time, and yeah, it's such a weird. I, I I highly doubt that anyone in North Carolina would be referring to a Mexican divorce. It feels like it's very much a Southern California thing, but whatever. Yeah, that's the writers' room just letting their bullshit bleed in. Um, yeah. So yeah, so he he is immediately like spiteful and petty and like nasty about it and they do kind of like dress it up as like but he's concerned he loves her that's why he says that he hopes her marriage doesn't work out yeah they really tried to play like there's a a real relationship like they're friends and they're buddies of a fun relationship with him and his landlady because they're friends like your land your landlord just has your best interest in at heart and you should have your landlord's best interest at heart basically what this fucking Fuck says that. landlords are people too yeah uh, don't when you think about it the landlord gives you a piece of them which is their property and you give them a piece of you 
which is, which is your, your money. money, which in a way <laughs> is love. If you think about it, you're both giving a piece of yourself. So it's like a human connection, arguably like one of the strongest in the world. So in a way, you should give your landlord a present on Mother's Day. So, if you think about it. So here's here's where that fucking goes, right? Is somehow Barney convinces Andy to call the state police and get a descript give them a description and try to ask for information on this guy. Yeah. Cause and the motherfucker is right. <laughs> yeah. He's fucking rewarded. His worst base instincts, his worst behaviors are once again rewarded. Yeah, so the the impetus for this is that uh, he runs out uh he runs into mrs mendelbright outside the bank and she's withdrawn all of her money and she's getting ready to go to raleigh to buy a house with this dude she has like a couple grand they're gonna go off and buy a place together and barty immediately like bolts off there's actually a fucking great bit where he is like trying to get around a car and he keeps trying to run in front of it. And each time he does, the car moves up a little bit. And then he runs into the jail and says, she's being conned. And Barney then suggests that they hold him on a phony traffic charge, which Andy's reason why they shouldn't do that is because he doesn't have a car. <laughs> like he, 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 that's like, one of two illegal things he suggests they do. He says, like, let's just arrest him for a bullshit made-up charge. That's, that's such, that's pure Andy Griffith distilled. Like. Yeah. Like, he, he suggests, let's hold him on a bullshit charge. And Andy is like, he will sue us. And he's like, let's hold him on a phone, on a phony traffic charge. Well, we can't. Do, 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 do. Fucking bullshit. Later, they're waiting around the jail. And we should circle back. We forgot about this because it was boring. But Barney has been bottling his own cider in his How room. have we been talking about this episode so much? I thought we'd be done with this episode in like 10 minutes. There's a uh, lot of moving parts, Marty, <laughs> in this bullshit. Yeah, Barney's been bottling his own cider, and he gets drunk off of it. Yeah. And I don't... It's it's this <laughs> it's this show's break glass in case of emergency, which is just like a character accidentally gets drunk by improbable means that requires the audience to not understand how alcohol works somehow, even though it is, again, no longer prohibition. And so he gets drunk off his fermented cider and but then back at the house. They're also drinking the fermented cider, and this is supposed to be part of the con man's con, is that he's getting her drunk? I don't know. I think that's completely accidental, and it just has no part in the plot. I think it's just they also get her drunk with no payoff. For why? No reason, Marty. <laughs> they just threw that in there, baby. They just get, They just had people. You know how when you leave cider in a, in a hot sun? It becomes alcohol. Instantaneously? You know how that thing that would have drastically uh, changed what it was like to be in high school? You know how that's a thing? <laughs> Can you imagine what a fucking game changer that would be? I got a little mad at that. Just be like, fuck you. I, you you're going to tell me. I would know about that. <laughs> there was a way to ferment cider in your own home. I would have had a, a small business. I mean, yes, there is, but it takes a long ass yeah. time, and like, there's that's it. It's not just get cider and wait. Yeah, like not that's not <laughs> put cider in jug, put jug in sun. You now have an alcoholic beverage. Enjoy, seventeen year old Dan. <laughs> that, that's not how that fucking works. But 
So they do get a call that the mother that he's fucking right. It's a con man. They go to the house. She's drunk. Mr. Fields steals her purse, which has all the money in it. And they catch him outside with the purse. And I don't know. And he just kind of like, you got me. When really what he should be doing is, yeah, I'm holding my fiance's purse in her house. Yeah. That's not weird or illegal. No. She's outside. I'm just holding her purse. I do. I love that they do the thing again, which is they they send a description of the guy to the state police, which should elicit, I don't know, he's a fucking old British white guy. What the fuck do you want from us? But they're like, oh, yeah, no, that's one of his aliases, which why do these why do criminals keep using aliases that they've already used for crimes? Because... <laughs> Can they, can people only think of so many names? You only get three. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just such a weird, like, I guess it's like an honor among thieves rule, which is like, ha you caught one of my aliases. When it happens, like, this guy doesn't put up a fight. He's just like, all right. And he just kind of stands there on the porch, making no attempt to escape. He's not handcuffed or anything, but he just kind of stands there awkwardly while the rest of the scene plays out. Yeah. He like, just, no protest or anything. He just hangs around, just slightly out of frame. Which, he has done nothing illegal. No. At all. A lawyer could rip this case to shreds. Be like, oh, he has fucking priors? Fuck you. He was getting married. Yeah, I mean, I guess... I guess they could get him on a warrant. It sounded like they had uh, they had a warrant out for him, but like weak. That's mm. weak shit. There was no Ooh, probable cause. Whatever. So they the stinger is that Barney and Mrs. Mendelbright are in love now. She gives him everything he's wanted. He can have a better bulb. He can keep a hot plate in his room. He was already cooking in it. They're making chili. But bum bum but it's over. Turn off the lights. Get the fuck out. Oh, thank fucking Christ. Yeah. Andy meter? I don't know. It's a fucking... It's a three. What do you want from us? I'm point tired. Five. Fucking point five. I got nothing on this. It it was... This was a a flat-out waste of a, of a half hour. Don yeah. Knotts like, does a little bit of good vaudeville shit. I think I'll get my. That. We don't like this show, but there are only a few times when I've just been like, I could have been doing anything else with this time. Yeah. And and this is one of them. So, yeah, I'm a fucking point five. I did not enjoy this at all. This didn't fill uh, me as, as much, with as much rage. It had nothing. Like, I yeah, I couldn't even get and I couldn't even get that good, good anger on that usually fuels me through. It's just kind of like they just took all the stuff. They just took all the Andy Griffith stuff and they just dumped it into a pot and they didn't cook it or anything. They were just like, here's the stuff like. Here's a character is drunk accidentally. Someone says that they love someone. There's a con man. Uh, someone fucks in the jail. Inconvenience. Opie does a monologue. Is this anything? Here you go. Is this anything? We're going to have Don Knotts do some funny faces. Does this make you people happy? That's just what it is. It's just a big old pile. I... Gotta be honest, man, I got bored listening to you talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This podcast is a mistake. So before we go, we have new... We've redone our Patreon, patreon.com slash Breaking Mayberry. And we have new goals that I think will interest you. In addition to getting all of the bonus stuff that we make, all the deleted scenes, all of the extended scenes, director's cuts, and, and the bonus episodes and everything, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you'll also help us get to one of the following goals. 
if we get 20 patrons, I have multiple DVDs of rejected 1950s and 1960s sitcom pilots. They are uh, fucking bonkers. Just they are so bad. Out of this world nonsense. They make the Andy Griffith show look lucid and sensical. So if you if we get to 20 patrons, we will do at least one, maybe a marathon of those live. We've got plenty of material. We could do more than one marathon, I think. If we get to 50 patrons, we will do a one-shot Dungeons & Dragons or some kind of tabletop RPG campaign. We will do this as Andy Griffith characters. <laughs> we will get some guests, and we will defend Mayberry from a horde or goblin to something. Maybe Floyd will have barber magic. We don't know. But we will, we will do... A let's play campaign as Mayberians. We get to fifty. We get to seventy-five, right? If we get to seventy-five patrons, send us your best or worst Andy Griffith fan fiction. We will do a live table read for you, for our patrons. And if we get to a hundred, Dan and I will go to Mayberry Days. Yes, we will drive to Mount Pilot, North Carolina. We will go to the giant Mayberry Festival. We will throw tomatoes at clint howard i don't know this is actually I, this is an important part of the promises we will go to mayberry days and we will be antagonistic we will not be passive observers we will not try to appreciate their point of view we will cause arguments we will cause fights we will confront people we will tell them that their cosplay is bad and they should be ashamed of it we will critique everyone that we can get our hands on and we might try to fight clint howard and the whole thing will be recorded in some way oh so i am making that promise and we can be held to it and if we don't get in an altercation with anyone you can request your money back what the fuck man <laughs> all right <laughs> so there it is we will be listeners. chased out of north carolina so there it is. Those are our goals. New goals on Patreon. Hit us up. Patreon.com slash Breaking Mayberry. As for the other place where you can find us on the internet, online, I am at Schneid Remarks. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. Dan is nothing because he is a smart man and deleted his Twitter. And You don't want my, like, LinkedIn or... <laughs> online, we are also on Twitter at Break Mayberry. Facebook.com slash Breaking Mayberry. Instagram, Breaking Mayberry. And that is really all about it. Thank you all for hanging in with us. This was a long one, I know. D doing a doubleheader was a mistake. This <laughs> podcast was a mistake. We'll see you all down at the fishing hole.